Sai. Some time ago, and it is some time ago, we did some studies in the Psalms in two sections, I think, and we got up to Psalm 34. So I thought for the winter we'll get back into the Psalms. The Psalms have so much to say to us about ourselves and about our need before God, so many practical and inspirational lessons from the Psalms. And so we'll work our way through a few of the uh, Psalms here for a number of weeks and discover what lessons the Lord would have to teach us. We'll just read the opening verses here of Psalm 35, a Psalm of David. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Amen. We know that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let's just pray. Father, write your word upon our hearts. May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. This is one of those very difficult psalms that are known as the imprecatory psalms. The word imprecation refers to judgment. And there are a number of psalms that are filled with strong words where the psalmist is crying out for God to judge his enemies. And there are very strong words of judgment in this psalm. For example, look look at what he says there in the verse 4. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. And so he is crying unto God that he would judge his enemies. And of course, that raises all kinds of questions. Was David not a forgiving man? Was he not a kind man? Was he not a gracious man? Why did he pray in this way? Well, we must always remember that David was kind and forgiving. Remember how he treated Saul. Whenever Saul came against him, he would not allow his soldiers to kill Saul, touch not the Lord's anointed. And yet it may well be that Saul was the very man that David was praying about here. You see, David wasn't taking the judgment into his own hands. He believed in righteousness and he believed in judgment and he believed in justice, but he was committing it into the hands of God. And I think that was a very important thing. And of course, that's something that we ought to do where evil is concerned. We can pray that God should judge that which is evil. And it is proper to pray that. It's scriptural. And we must remember those words, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And so there is a God of justice that all men and women will stand before one day. And therefore, uh, that is a very important lesson that we get from these imprecatory psalms. However, we're not going to look at the Psalm 35 in that way this evening. Rather, we're going to think about it as a template, a set of instructions to help us understand how to deal with our burdens. Because David obviously was in a difficult place. So many of the psalms were written whenever David's back was against the wall. He had got himself into this cul-de-sac, and he didn't know where to go, 
and he felt weak and he felt desolate and he felt discouraged and there was nowhere for him to turn. The only one he could turn to was the Lord. And so he had these burdens. And the fact of the matter is, life is filled with burdens. No one is without them. One person has disappointment. Another person feels betrayal. Another person is suffering serious and severe illness. Another experiences the grief of bereavement. One is reeling from the effects of failure, while another is struggling with the weight of responsibility. We all have our burdens, and everyone's burden is personal to themselves. And what causes one person a burden may not necessarily be somebody else's burden, but yet we all have our own problems and difficulties. And here in the Psalm 35, we discover how David dealt with his problems. We discover how David dealt with his difficulties. And so we're going to learn from this how we can deal with our burdens. And so the title of this study is all about facing the conflicts of life. Because life has many conflicts. But how do we face those conflicts? How do we deal with them? And we can learn these lessons from this psalm. So in the first place, let's think about the pain. The pain that David had. Burdens, by their definition, are painful burdens. If the burden is not painful, it's not really a burden. It might be an annoyance. It might be an inconvenience, but that's not a burden. A burden is something that presses you down. It's a weight upon your back that you can't shake off. And David was experiencing a burden here, and it was hard. It was a hard burden to bear. He was in a lonely place. Whenever we carry burdens, sometimes we feel that nobody else understands. Nobody else that we know is actually there in the same place we are in. And therefore, we feel lonely. And David was in a lonely place. This burden involved a physical battle. Because in the verse 1, he's asking God to fight against those that fight against him. So obviously, there was an army involved, and there was warfare, and there was people that were out to injure David in a very physical way. He asked God to act in a way that manifested physical artifacts, the physical aspects of the soldier's armory. He talked about the shield and the buckler in verse 2. He talked about the spear in verse 3. He's asking God to take a spear and to take a shield and to take his buckler. And the very fact that he's using that imagery would tell me that David was facing a military threat. And so that was the first thing was causing him problems here. But the military threat was there because he had been betrayed. It wasn't the Philistines that were coming up against him. It wasn't the Ammonites or any of these other nations, the Moabites. It was his own people. It was from within his own household even. This may have been Saul. It may have been Absalom. We do not know. But he felt betrayed. You, you look at what he says in the verse 11. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. So obviously, these people had brought charges against him. Charges that he knew nothing of. Charges that were false, trumped up charges. Then verse 12 says, They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. I did good to these people, but they have only rewarded me evil. He says in verse 13, But as for me, when they were sick, 
My clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. So whenever these people who were arrayed against him, whenever they were sick, David prayed for them. He put on sackcloth for them. He, he mourned with them as one would mourn for their mother. That's how he felt when these people suffered because he believed that these people were his friends. But yet they had betrayed him. And that is the hardest pain of all, the pain of treachery. And then he goes on in verse 15 to say, But in mine adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the objects gathered themselves together against me, and they knew it not. They did tear me and cease not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts they gnashed upon me with their teeth. And it would seem that they waited for their opportunity. And whenever David was exposed, whenever he was vulnerable, they seized hold of that. They sought to bring him down. They, they were there with him in, in, in feasts, eating with him, celebrating with him. Yet at the same time, they were stabbing him in the back, as we might say. But ultimately, this burden was spiritual. Notice how he uses the word soul here. You have it in the verse 3, for example, Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. So, his soul is introduced into the, the whole picture. And I know in the Old Testament, sometimes the soul means life, but I do believe there's something deeper going on here. There was a spiritual battle. There was a spiritual conflict. The devil was at work seeking to destroy David. Of course, the devil wanted to destroy David because he was the one out of whose lineage Christ would come. And every battle you see David involved in, that's the work of Satan, trying to destroy the one out of whom the Messiah would arise. Satan, throughout all of the Old Testament, was trying to destroy that holy line. And so, David was in a spiritual battle, a spiritual conflict. And in the midst of all of our burdens and all of our difficulties, whatever they might be, the devil will be at work to tempt us, to tantalize us, to discourage us, to turn us against God, to turn our hearts against the Lord, to cause us to be cold of heart and spirit in the midst of our strife. And these things can wear us down spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, they all have their impact. And David was suffering here. He experienced pain. But let's also think about the prayer. Ultimately, this psalm is a prayer for divine intervention. David is praying that God would come and help him. It is as if he is saying, Lord, I'm alone. I am outmaneuvered. I'm in this corner. I'm in a tight spot, Lord. There's nothing I can do. These people are stronger than I am. They have got the upper hand. Lord, I need you. I've nowhere else to turn. I need you. I need to rest in you. And that's a lesson we must learn over and over and over again. Notice what he says in the verse 1. Very significant words. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. You plead my cause. There's a person in the court. They're accused. And there's the advocate, the experienced advocate, the experienced barrister who can stand there and plead the cause. Somebody who knows the law inside out, upside down, back to front. Somebody who can use words. Someone who can employ arguments. 
someone who can convince the jury of innocence. That's the kind of person you want on your side if you're ever in a position like that. And this is exactly what David is saying here. Lord, stand up and plead my cause. Be thou at my right hand. There's nothing I can say. I need you, O Lord, in the midst of all of this. He pleaded with the Lord. And isn't it marvelous, brethren and sisters, that tonight we literally have one pleading our cause at the right hand of the majesty and high. In the, the greatest court of all, in the court of glory, there's the throne of God, and there's our Savior bearing those wounds in His hands and in His feet. And there He is praying for us, pleading for us in all of our adversities and all of our trials. Here we have one who is our Savior pleading for us. And therefore, we can come to the Lord tonight and we can say, plead my cause, O Lord. And we know that He is there pleading our cause. Hallelujah. What a Savior. He pleaded with God that He would recognize His problems and step in and intervene. Look at what He says in verse 17. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling, from the lions. He said, Lord, how long are you going to look on? How long are you going to, to see what's going on here and not intervene? How long, Lord? There's times we are in a difficult place in life and we may wonder when the Lord's going to step in and make a change, make a difference. Lord, how long will you look on? How long? Pleading with the Lord that he would just not look on any longer, but that he might step in and intervene. We can apply this to the situation we're in in our province. When you look at the onslaught of evil, what's going on? Lord, how long will you look on? Will you not come and intervene? Defend the cause of the, the child that's being taken from its mother's womb and killed. How long will you look on and see all this? How long will you look on and, and see the, the, the rising tide of, of blasphemy and immorality that's beset our society? How long will you look on, Lord? And so David pleads. Verse 23, notice what he says to the Lord. Verse 22, take it. This thou hast seen, O Lord. Keep not silence, O Lord. Be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause. My Lord and my God. I get a sense of a man here who's seeking the glory of God. This is what he is doing. He's praying that God might intervene for his own glory and for his name's sake. That God would defend his cause. That God would step in. He's pleading with God. He pleads, he cries, he holds on to God by faith that he might come. You see... David's trial had taught him this very thing, that he had to pray. And the Lord is teaching us, whatever our burdens are, we need to pray. We need to come to him. There's no one else can sort them out. There's no one else can turn our nation around. There's no one else can intervene but the Lord. And we need to pray and keep praying and keep holding on to him, that he will come. Finally, let's think about the prayers. Amid all of the pain and the suffering, David praises as he prays. 
These two things go together. And we have this numerous times throughout the Psalms. It's, a, it's amazing the way he prays. Look at what he says in verse 18. You know, verse 17, we've made reference to it. Lord, how long will you look on? And then in verse 18, he says, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. So he's saying, oh Lord, how long will you look on? And then he's saying, I'm going to give you thanks. I'm going to be among the people. I'm going to be in the great congregation. I'm going to praise you because of what you have done. You see, David never for one moment believed that his prayers were empty, his prayers were vain. He didn't believe for one moment that his prayers would not be answered. He believed, he was convinced, he was sure that these prayers were going to be answered. Therefore, he was praising and giving God thanks as he was praying. Even though he had these burdens, even though these people were challenging, even though it seemed his life was under threat, he was still praising God because he knew that God's hand was in this. There's a, a man of faith indeed. That's the kind of faith we need tonight. Look at verses 27 and 28. The psalm comes to a, a great end. Let them shout for joy and be glad. That favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. They that seek after God will never ever be abandoned. David had his eye upon the glory of God. It wasn't just a matter of God defending him. It wasn't a matter of God defending his crown. It wasn't a matter of God saving his life. It was a matter of God being magnified. And if he was to be delivered, he wanted to be delivered for the glory of God. Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And as we bring our burdens and our needs before the Lord, as we bring the needs of our land and of our nation before the Lord, our utmost prayer should be that God would be magnified, that the glory of God would be lifted up, that the prayers would not be answered for us because God will never answer those kinds of prayers, but He will answer prayers that have a single eye to the, the glory of God. And He wanted to be able to stand in that great congregation which he has described in verse 18. He wanted to speak with his tongue in verse 28, speaking of God's righteousness, speaking of God's praise all the day long. He wanted to look and say, this is what God has done. The Lord has been good. This is my God. And so we see his motivation. It was for God. And so his burdens, his needs, his cares, his tears, his worries, his anxieties, his fears, they all just fade away into the background. And we only see one person, and that's the Lord, the glory of the Lord. And that's really the place that true prayer ought to bring us to, where we see the glory of God, and where we have one desire, and that is that the Lord be magnified. Whatever years the Lord gives us to live upon this world, it may only be weeks or days or months. Let us pray that it would be all for the glory of God, that no one else is worth living for.
closing, I'll just draw your attention to words that are found in verse 10. Because I think this really says it all. Who is the God whom we pray to? Why can the Christian be at peace in the midst of the greatest adversity? Why? We have the answer here. Why do we praise as we pray? All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which delivereth the poor from him that is too strong for him, yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. You see, you get a sense of David's feeling here. He was poor. Those that were against him were too strong for him. He was poor and needy. He was being spoiled. But yet in the midst of all of that crushing weight, he could say, Lord, who is like unto you? Who is like unto you? Who can be compared to you? This is the one I can plead with. This is the one I can seek counsel. In the world, I may be outnumbered. But with thee, I have no need to fear. For you're stronger than all of my enemies. And here he says, all my bones shall say. Every fiber of my being will say, Lord, who is like unto you? And thank God we can come before this God and we can say, Lord, who is like unto thee? May the Lord bless these words to your heart and to your soul.